When we share our stories, something magical happens. We magnify the power and the purpose that our stories contain. I'm Amanda Solar, the host of Soulful Connections. Come on this journey with me and let's connect. I want to warn you that this episode tackles tough subjects, subjects like suicide and mental illness, loss, death, grief. If that will be overwhelming to you, please take a pause from this episode. If you do listen, I want you to celebrate Eric Stark, who bravely and vulnerably shares some of his story. I think it's really important that we all have this conversation You may not be able to relate to exactly what Eric talks about, but if you live in this world, you will experience loss. There's just no getting away from it. And grief, loss, these are important topics. I'm so thankful that Eric has come on the podcast and so willingly shared his thoughts and his experiences. So... Thank you, Eric, and thank you for listening. So welcome. I am here with my beautiful friend, Eric Stark. And Eric and I know each other from, you know, I my days as a leader in the local chamber of commerce. And Eric has been a leader in different nonprofit organizations in the region. So we've always kind of been on each other's radar, I think. Yes. But I have to say it hasn't been until recently that I've learned so much more about you and what you've experienced. And I am so filled with reverence for your ability to Talk about your pain, what you've experienced, and use it, you know, I think as a springboard to help others. And I really appreciate that, Eric. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. So, you know, I I know I feel like maybe we should even um jump right in and talk about kind of your story and and how you are taking um your pain and you're transforming it and and um into into a vehicle whose wings I think people can sit on and and kind of learn and grow and and benefit um can you kind of you know I know it's a hard one, but start kind of and and talk about what you've been through. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. I think it helps me to talk about it, even though it is painful. But that's how I process my grief. And my pain is grief related. Um, It started about 12 years ago, uh, 2010, when my father passed away. And he was 88, 89 years old and lived a great full life. but I still really missed them. And it really hit me harder than I expected it to. And 15 months after he died, I was still mourning him, still grieving. And unfortunately my 21 year old son committed suicide uh, 15 months after my, my father died. And it just took the grief obviously to a whole nother level. And it really upset uh, my entire life, turned my entire life upside down took me probably eight years or so to start to come out of the funk that I was in and going through all the stages of grief, including anger and bargaining and being mad at God, taking my son or whatever, all those things. Um, And with a lot of therapy, you know, I was starting to get through and feel better. Um, And then unfortunately my, my mom died in 2016 and she was like my mentor and my my hero in my life. That was really hard. Um, and then four years later, my other son passed away, um, got hit by a, a car in Philadelphia. 
walked away from the incident, but didn't get checked out and didn't realize he had an injury to his pancreas. And so his pancreas stopped producing insulin. And five days later, we walked into the hospital ER together and he ended up on a ventilator. His blood sugar was so thick, they couldn't get meds in him. And my wife and I were then pulling the plug on him 12 hours after he and I walked into the ER together. I was thinking that it was an ulcer or he was complaining of stomach pain or you know, stomach virus, something. Um, but it was ended up being obviously much, much more serious. So, you know, that renewed this heavy grief, you know, that I'd been working, healing and, and processing. Um, and, and Ryan, you know, had, and I had a special relationship because um, he had bipolar disorder. And his final diagnosis was schizoaffective disorder, which is kind of a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar. And he had a bunch of episodes that were really traumatic. Um, so on top of my grief, I've been dealing with PTSD from Ryan had 12 episodes in eight years. And we had to hospitalize him each time against his will. Um, so that was difficult. And I kind of helped chef my wife also, but the last few years of his episodes, um, you know, I was really spending a lot of time with him, visiting him in psychiatric hospitals. And then he, he got well, actually found medication that worked for him and kept him stable. He stopped taking any alcohol in. And for the last six years of his life, he, uh, he was stable. He didn't have any episodes. He didn't drink any alcohol. He took his medication. And during that time, we became like best friends. You know, we spent time together every day. And uh, so his passing was really, really a struggle. And I remember when they're, you know, he had coded a couple of times and he was intubated. So he's on a ventilator and pretty much knew he was not going to make it. And uh, I begged God not to take him. I said, you can't have him. <laughs> you have Michael, you can't have Ryan. <clears throat> But, and he came back to life enough, long enough after that, I thought my prayer was answered. And it was in a sense, because he came back alive long enough for us to go in and hold his hand, tell him it's okay to go, even though he wasn't, you know, visibly conscious. And then pull the plug and, and see him take his last breath with us holding his hand. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, that in itself is a traumatic event. And, you know, my other son committing suicide was traumatic. And all the episodes that Ryan had were, were also pretty traumatic. So I've been dealing with what you would call complex grief, um, grief, ex, you know, extreme grief combined with PTSD, with trauma. Um, so it's been a huge challenge. It's been, the, I think, the challenge of my life. And unfortunately, after Ryan died, um, after about two years, in the second year, which is, from my experience, the hardest when you lose a child, I was not handling my grief very well. And I had some unhealthy coping mechanisms and I was lying to my wife about where I was and what I was doing, and whether I was working or not working or hanging out at the bar with friends and things like that. And that kind of blew up in my face when she found out about all these lies and, and we ended up separated and now we're divorced. This all happened just last year. And so that's another loss. Uh, thankfully, my wife and I are on great terms. We're very amicable. We do things together. Tomorrow happens to be the three-year anniversary of Ryan's passing. So we're going to get together for breakfast and take our dog for a walk. And we do that on birthdays and anniversaries of their, their passing. Um, basically, because no one understands her grief better than I do. and No one understands my grief as much as she does. So even though we're divorced and we're not together in an intimate relationship, we're still supporting each other on some level, which is, which is really helpful. And she's a psychotherapist, you know, and uh, she has a lot of tools and, you know, she's doing, she's doing well. Um, so we will see each other tomorrow. And, you know, I looked at this separation and divorce as, you know, another tragedy now I'm looking at it as a kind of a turning point in my grief and processing my grief and almost kind of discovering my purpose. And I think maybe I needed to be separated to be on my own and to figure this out on my own 
Um, you know, we, my wife and I were great at helping each other through, you know, one of us was always maybe just barely strong enough to carry the other one through. Mm. But when both doing bad, you know, it's, it's hard. And you lean in other directions sometimes, you know, with other coping mechanisms instead of leaning into each other. So, but the, what changed after I got separated is that I, I realized that I really need to get my stuff together and I need to process this grief. I switched medications. I was on an antidepressant that I think was pushing down my emotions and prevent it or delaying my processing of the grief. And so I switched to another med and, and voila, you know, the emotions started coming like crazy, sometimes overwhelmingly, but it was the start of me really processing the grief yeah. in a more healthy way. And I went back into therapy. I have a wonderful therapist. I, I see a, a Reiki uh, master, you know, doing energy healing and trying to raise my vibrational frequency and maintain that high frequency and consciousness and trying not to let low vibrational frequency energies in to my awareness because I, I'm vulnerable to attach to them. I know from my experience in grief, it's easy to attach to those low vibrational yeah. frequencies. That's not where I want to be. And I'm back. I joined two different grief support groups, which have been tremendously helpful. And so I, I feel so much better. I, I, and my purpose is starting to, I think, reveal itself to me. And I must say that I've had a lot of spiritual experiences, even paranormal experiences with my sons. They send eagles, <laughs> bald eagles. I saw a bald eagle. I think my father sent the bald eagle on the day that Michael committed suicide 11 years ago. And ever since then, I've been seeing eagles everywhere. My wife and I both, every, we go, when we went on vacation, we'd see bald eagles anywhere, you know, West Virginia, Maine, Florida, North Carolina, Delaware, everywhere. We would see bald yeah. eagles. And after my son Ryan died three years ago, the eagle sightings went even off the charts. Like this one, one pair of eagles that I follow and have been following since Michael died, after Ryan died, they had two litters two years in a row of three, three eaglets, and they all survived. And I go to the eagle's nest. It's in a park down by me and meditate and uh, kind of feel their presence and connect with them on a spiritual level. And all I'm pretty sure I witnessed some of the uh, eaglets' first flights out of the nest, which is really and I've seen some amazing things, and um, and I feel it. I feel it in my heart, my soul, and it's tremendously helpful. I really feel badly um, and have tremendous compassion for people who have lost loved ones that maybe don't have those connections or they don't recognize the signs that maybe their loved one is sending them from the other side. And I'm so grateful that I that's not me, that I have... My sons are strong communicators from the other side and they want, they're helping me. They're helping my now ex-wife and they're helping their friends. They're, they're my guardian angels. And, um, and they were really good people. They were just great young men. Um, but now, you know, one of the things that's surfaced, I've always thought about in the back of my head, writing a book. And that even before I had this extreme you know, brush with grief. And now it's becoming a reality. I've started writing an autobiography and I'm excited about it. And uh, I'll tell my story like I'm telling you now um, and, and hopefully inspiring others that are going through extreme grief or complex grief and trauma that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not necessarily a train coming. Um, but it's up to us and how we view that tunnel and how we embrace that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I'm finding my way by consciously raising my awareness, raising my vibrational frequency, my consciousness. And I've set an intention for this year. The only New Year's resolution I made is to embrace and share the light that I want to wow. see experience. <laughs> And I want to experience light again and happiness and joy 
And I am starting to experience those things again, which I thought may not be possible for me. So there's some exciting things happening. And, um, you know, I've rearranged a lot of my life. I'm basically semi-retired. I just do an after-school program called the Hoops Program, which is a social and emotional learning program for low-income uh, children in uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods. And the social and emotional learning lessons that I bring, and I bring in speakers to talk about different topics, I think resonates with these children. And a lot of time they're not getting that in the classroom, the social and emotional lessons. And a lot of them, unfortunately, are not getting it at home either. So, you know, this after school program, basketball is really just a hook to get the kids to sign up and come out. And I do teach them basketball. It's one of my passions. I coach my boys, my boys played. And um, I really enjoy working with youth. And it, that gives me a sense of purpose. And maybe it, it take, you know, in the fall, I had 20 kids, 20 seventh graders in my after school program. And it took me several weeks. You know, we meet with them. I was meeting with them three times a week to really connect with them. But by the end of the 15 sessions, um, I feel like I did connect with them. And we had a pizza party at the end where the families were invited, siblings, parents, and the kids had an opportunity to share um, what they've learned or what their experience was like. And I was astounded by how much they remembered of the social emotional learning wow. lesson. So seventh graders, so I'm, well, guest speakers talking, I'm going, shh, stop, stop, she's talking, he's talking. Right. You know? Right. Fine, but I, I, but I didn't realize it's a, they're soaking it in. They're soaking it in. And, and the connection is what makes it real for them. So I think they sense if I'm genuine or not and whether my, the speakers that I bring in are genuine or they know. They know oh, yeah. faking it. And, um, and so that's an impact on a very small scale. Um, and I'm hoping that the book when I get it finished and hopefully published so it will have an impact on maybe a little larger uh, scale and um, I've always kind of had also in the back of my head that maybe I was meant to be some kind of spiritual teacher or leader and I think you know that's starting to come into fruition as well slowly yeah but I read church and I'm singing in a choir and you know singing is also, you know, a passion of mine, something that gives me joy and peace. And so, you know, it's kind of, I've always been an other-centered person. You know, as you mentioned, I was in nonprofit work uh, for most of my career at an administrative level. Um, but also on a personal level, you know, now I'm doing the Soups program, which is very hands-on, direct service kind of thing. And I'm realizing that 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 is one of my passions. And, um, yeah. One of the values that my mother instilled in me she was extremely community oriented her passion was people and she just loved people she was totally non-judgmental you could you know and this back in the 60s and 70s you could have long hair and you know smell like marijuana or whatever when you come into her house and and she would love you like anyone else and never judge and so yes. emulate that and um and the hoops program I do in honor of Ryan because he helped me develop the program about five years ago, and we did a couple, oh, wow. of and then passed away, and then COVID hit right after he passed, and everything shut down. So the work, schools shut down, and then when even when the schools came back, there wasn't any after school programs for a while. Um, so that kind of went on the back burner, but I think that was kind of destined to happen too because it gave me the time and and. It allowed me the opportunity to use my energy to, to start proce to process my grief. Yeah. So yeah. Um, kind of uh, brings you up to speed. I think there's a lot, you know, a lot of work to do on myself. Uh, so a lot of healing, a lot of spiritual work, and a lot of work to get my, my book done. <laughs> um, but it's it feels better. I, I feel like I'm living again. And I want to share that with other people to know because I think based on what I've been through, if I can get through it and experience joy and happiness and fulfillment after all that, anyone can. If I can do it, anyone can. And, and if I can you know, show one pathway that worked for me, maybe that path or part of that path will work for someone else. Yeah, I'm, I mean, when I hear your story, it's one of those, it's one of those stories where you think I could never 
handle that, you know, in, in our imagination. I don't want to imagine any one of those things, any one of the things that you've experienced happening. Is there like a pre all of this, Eric, and a post all of this, Eric? In other words, mm-hmm. what was life like before, let's just say even before Ryan experienced his, um, you know, bipolar issues and you know, what was life looking like back then? Well, it feels like a whole different life because it was. I'm not the same person I was before all this happened. Um, I'm a similar person. You know, some of those traits are still there, but it just feels like lifetimes ago because it is <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And uh, things where we, we were living the American dream. We had two beautiful children. You know, we had a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood. We had great friends. We had church friends. I had business friends, nonprofit friends, chamber of commerce friends everywhere. Yeah. And and thank God we did have all that because it gave us a lot of support on top mm. of it was critical as well. Um, so life was just humming along. You know, I was I was coaching them in basketball, baseball, soccer. I, you know, my my schedule with nonprofit work allowed some flexibility that I could coach them in little league and travel basketball and AAU. And I'm so glad I did all those things yeah. with my yeah. kids. This like a lot of parents, particularly fathers that maybe work in New York City, you know, travel a lot with their work, yeah. don't go to any of their little league games unless they happen to be on a weekend, perhaps. And they miss yeah. out a lot. And thank God to have that experience. And that that and therefore I don't have any regrets. That's that's wonderful. And you you were able to pack in a lot of togetherness, mm-hmm. you know, in that time because you're right. A lot of families, everybody's going in a lot of different directions with a with not a lot of time to spend mm-hmm. together. And right. I'm wondering. Um, you know, even back when Ryan had his, um, his challenges, did you feel a sense of, okay, they've, you know, we're experiencing this episode. I have to keep this private. Or did you feel like, you know what, this is happening, whatever. Like how, how were you feeling during that period of time? Yeah, there there was, you know, that it's been 11 years, but 11 years ago there was a lot more stigma around yeah. around suicide around in the, and with my son michael and, and around mental illness with ryan yeah. and so you know we talked about it with our close friends and family but not really in, in public i mean yeah. people was in the public eye you know i was ceo of ymca at the time that michael died and when ryan was having his episodes so, you know, it was public knowledge, um, but it wasn't shared a lot publicly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the, the wonderful healing things that you're doing for other people as well to say, yeah, this is something that people experience. And, you know, we're not just our physical selves. We're a whole host of things and illness comes in all different ways. Right. And, you know, yeah. the more that we can actually say, yeah, this happens, right? the more we can be there for each other and in a really broad way. Um, so, Eric, you know, uh, first of all, I have to say, I, I have watched through the whole eagle sightings, which I find so powerful because I've yet to see an eagle. <laughs> 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 I am like really am I going to get to be 95 before I ever see an eagle so it's not like they're everywhere it's not like you said I see robins you know that's that's really powerful um what if somebody's experiencing I mean we're all going to experience grief Mm -hmm. I hope we don't experience it on this level because that is I don't even know how you're still standing what advice do you give to people who are experiencing overwhelming grief well the first and foremost is don't go it alone you know if you try to go it alone it's going to be a a tremendous struggle and there's there's help there for you your friends your family they want to help you 
sometimes they don't know how, sometimes you need to tell them how to support you. Um, but going it alone is a recipe for getting stuck in your grief. And then you run the risk of staying stuck. And then you're not really living. You're just existing until you die. And that's the life I wanted to live. And I knew that my boys had told me this after their death, even through me. I've seen mediums and they told me just with messages, that's not what they want for me, you know? And that's not who I am anyway. I, I was always been a positive outgoing person, optimistic. And I'm getting that back now. I lost it for quite a while, yeah. but it's coming back. And I now try, trying to, I'm starting to trust the universe, trust God, trust that something has my back, you know, because I lost, I lost a lot of faith. And <clears throat> so I would tell, I would tell someone who's experiencing extreme grief, number one, don't go it alone. And number two, don't beat yourself up over it. Like let it happen kind of organically and feed yourself. Self-care is so important. And I started to say, I think I got sidetracked myself um, that I've always been a very other-centered person and always concerned about everyone else's needs. And I needed to shift that and focus on myself and, and focus on my needs and my healing. Otherwise it wasn't gonna happen. So even though at times it, feel, it felt like, oh, I'm being selfish or whatever, I'm not doing this for this person. But then I realized, no, this this has to be a priority, and it won't be forever. Yeah. You know, I need to work on myself now; otherwise, it's not going to happen. Um, Absolutely, and I that's like, really important. Kids in my, you know, I've had the opportunity to share. I didn't. I still don't feel quite ready to do the talk on on suicide prevention. It's still very difficult for me. But what I tell the kids, and we have a session on mental health as well. But what I tell them about loss and grief is that you're all going to go through it. You're, you, you're going to lose someone. You're going to lose probably several people that are extremely close to you. And I hope it's not a son or a daughter because that's the absolute worst. But you're probably going to lose your parents. You may lose a spouse. You may lose a best friend. And hopefully not, but you may lose a child someday. And... <clears throat> That's it, that the message is again, don't don't go it alone. You know, accept the help, ask for help, and and just keep plugging along, keep working, keep moving. It's kind of because you lose energy. Grief takes so much energy from you that it's kind of hard sometimes just to keep moving at all. It's sometimes hard to get out of bed, hard to you know face the day that's ahead of you. Um, but if you keep moving, the grief then is moving. It's not stuck. And, and when the grief is moving and not stuck, you're processing it. And it's painful processing. You cry, cry a lot. I still cry every day. But um, I, I embrace that because I know those are tears I, I need to shed in order to heal. Because yeah. those pain that's unprocessed inside me. Tears. You know, and I have to say, as a society, we're not great at talking about grief. We don't know how to do it. And, you know, speaking of not only advice for um, people who are experiencing grief, but I'm wondering about the people around the people who are experiencing grief. I think we have this philosophy like, okay, we're never going to bring it up. We're never going to mention like your children's names. We're not, we're going to act like this didn't happen. Right. That's our society. Society handles grief and it's not helpful. It's not That's healed. what I'm wondering. I'm wondering as a person in that situation, um, what <laughs> advice would you give to people around the person suffering? I know it's extremely hard. I, it's been hard for me to talk to other people sometimes about their grief. You, there's a hesitation to bring it up because you don't want to trigger them into their heavy and upset that person. But the flip side of that is then, you know, that's how you heal is by sharing your story and talking about it and even crying about it. And there's some circumstances in public that you don't want to necessarily cry and have an emotional breakdown. <laughs> but so I think people, you know, are, are cautious in asking. Mm -hmm. What I would tell them is 
do not be afraid to talk about them and, and almost talk about the lost loved one as if they're still here. Yeah. As they are in spirit and en energy can neither be created nor destroyed. We learned that in elementary school. And that's what I believe. The soul is pure energy and cannot be destroyed. It can change form. It's taken on form of a human body while we're here. And when we shed that human body, we just go back into the oneness, the energy that is consciousness and is all that is. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and you yeah. can still communicate, you know, you go into the oneness, but I, I believe from my experience and hearing from my children and things came through these mediums that there's no way these mediums could have known it, information that came through could only have come from Michael. You know, most of our sessions were about Michael because we you know, spent 11 years. We did have a session a session with uh, after Ryan died as well, and they both came through. They told us that they're doing everything together and they're helping us together and they're making jokes to each other. And this, this medium was dumbfounded. She couldn't believe it. And, and this is on Zoom. She was in another state, didn't know anything about us. All, all she knew was my wife's first name and booking the appointments. And all these things came through about basketball. And he, he, said, he said, oh, dad, your boys want you to know that there's a beautiful court up there, great professional basketball court, and every shot goes in. <laughs> and they play every day together. Yeah. Each other too, um, in a good way. Yeah. And know that they, what they want for me is not a life of sadness and overwhelming grief. And right. so challenge, but it's a challenge that they're, I feel that they're helping me with and guiding me through. Uh, and it, 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 it forms gratitude. I have gratitude in my heart, which I think gratitude is actually the key to happiness. Oh my gosh, Eric. It's so weird that you say that because I just had a, an interview yesterday with somebody whose whole business is built around gratitude and he meditation wasn't really working for him. He, he tried a different, you know, different ways of just, you know, his own coping mechanisms and <clears throat> gratitude, a practice of gratitude, you know, not just saying, oh, I'm glad I'm breathing and I have a house or whatever it is, you know, not saying the same things, but really getting into a deep gratitude practice, he said is really powerful. So it's interesting and to bring up gratitude. The extreme case of trying to generate gratitude is, and I'm still working on this. I don't know if I'll ever get there, honestly, but it's to have gratitude even for my grief and for my losses. Yes. That's a real challenge. And when I first heard that, like, embrace your grief, you know, I'm like, what? How, right. can I, how can I embrace this? And so I viewed grief as my enemy. And now I'm starting to put it as my teacher. Oh and my gosh. Embrace, even if I can't embrace the grief itself, perhaps I can embrace the lessons that grief is trying to teach me. That's profound. Yeah. Uh, and, it, it, and it's it's working but I, of course i'm not all the way there but i came around and saying yeah i guess i do need to embrace my grief because i it's teaching me so much about myself and i've changed so much and i'm, I'm now starting to feel so much stronger than i ever did and and that's Amazing. doing doing that work and doing that processing and having gratitude for the milestones and the improvement you know the progress uh, and it's a huge relief, relief and relief to let go of some of that. You know, uh, my, my Reiki healer was telling me, she said, you're carrying around, you're dragging around these bricks from the past and you're taking them with you everywhere you go. And they're affecting your life. They're affecting your quality of life. And you don't have to drag them around. doesn't mean you forget your sons, no. but you don't have to miserable about the fact that you right. miss your and I can remember all the positive things and I even be grateful for the 21 years I had with Michael and the 30 years I had with Ryan and all the great memories that yeah. we made and I, I, I'm assured in my heart that I will be with them again when I pass and it's not that I want to pass but I'm not afraid to die I'm not afraid of death anymore because I know you go to a beautiful place and I know that my boy done 
and they they're in their pure light now and that's the kind of light that you know i want to experience not only when i get over there but i want to experience some of it here so that's why i set that intention of letting more light into my life it's not always easy but it's it's a it's a challenge that's worthwhile i think i agree with you i really do um what about you know as you're talking up I just had a flash of thinking about um, like man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. You know, I just, you know, you think about people who have been through unimaginable horrors. I'm wondering, are there books that have helped you through? Do you have favorite, you know, a piece of music, anything like that? I do. I do actually. There's, several things that have been very helpful. Books have been very helpful. Um, music has been very helpful, but some of the books that Man's Search for Meaning is one of my favorite books of all time. I read it before I had all this grief. I, I did a lot of reading of spiritual books in my life and always kind of had this intention in my mind to, you know, to be um, more connected and, and, live at a, a higher vibrational frequency and with higher consciousness and awareness and live in the moment. So one of the other books that really was helpful and changed my life was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Very powerful book. And it's helped me to, those principles, and what he teaches, it's helped me to let go of those bricks from the past that I'm dragging around and to live in today's moment, live in this moment. Because I realized past isn't real it's a memory in my head the only thing that's real is right now the past is a thought right. in my the future hasn't come yet it, it, and and so what we have is this this right now and that's all we really have and when we get we get sidetracked by past or future and don't live in the now we're not really living you know what i mean we're, we're living in our head somewhere but we're not living in the world. We're not living with each other. We're not experiencing life like we could be. And I believe that the deeper we go into the now through meditation, other spiritual practices, prayer, the happier we are because that's where peace lies. Peace doesn't lie in the past. It doesn't lie in the future. It's only now, can only, can only be now. That's beautiful and true. I, and and. It is the only reality. Now is the only reality. You're so right. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering, Eric, what is, you know, a perfect day for you? Mm. If What does that look like for you? It looks, like, looks a lot different than it used to, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, because I used to be driven by, you know, career and providing for my family, which is all good. But now it's different. You know, it's I have different priorities, um, and I spend my days differently. And I, th I would say the perfect day for me, and I've been trying to live days like this recently, quite a bit, is when I get up before I even get out of bed and make breakfast or anything. I do like a thirty-minute meditation practice, and it's usually a guided meditation on YouTube. Deepak Chopra, we talked about another time, very mm -hmm. helpful. You know, chakra clearing, energy clearing and healing and boosting your positive energy and frequency. Um, those are all helpful things. So starting the day with a meditation and then, you know, I usually make myself a big breakfast, you know, with all kinds of vegetable, you know, sauteed vegetables and eggs. And then I uh, usually make a plan to go out in nature I spend a lot of time at the eagle's nest where I often see the eagles just close by. I spend time near the Delaware River. I go for walks and parks around our region and just try to feel, just try to again, be in the now and, and feel the power of the, uh, the energy of the universe and, and realize that we're all connected and that that power is mine as much as it is anyone else's. And I can own that. I can own that power. Yeah. My healing is taking my own power back. I let it go. I gave it up, basically, and felt powerless over my situation. I couldn't, obviously, can't change the past, can't bring my sons back. 
but I realized that that's a huge waste of energy. And I, I couldn't, I didn't have energy to spare. And so I had wow. to re, reprioritize and, and spend my energy where I know it's going to promote healing, you know, for me inside. And that's going to help me perhaps be a healing presence for others. If I can heal myself at, or with help, you know, go do the work yourself. But I, the healing is aided by those around you and, and the higher frequency of people that are helping you that, um, that are there for you and listen and just hold space for you when you're not doing well. That's enormously powerful. Uh, Just to have someone, just one person that understands and just listens and doesn't judge, doesn't give you advice, doesn't tell you how you do it or what you're doing wrong. They just say, I hear you. I feel it. I'm sorry. And I'm here for you. That's a great message for all of us, actually. That's a really great message. I think we're all solvers of some sort. And so maybe that's why we are universally, when I say we, I'm speaking kind of in the US because that's my only frame of reference, but um, maybe that's why we're so uncomfortable with grief because we can't fix it and we can't fit, you know, and, and so it's all about fixing. And I guess a great piece of advice is to allow the person to exist in whatever it is that they're existing in at that moment. Right. That's true. And in that moment, you know, living in the now is where peace lies, but not every moment is going to be pleasant. Right. You're going to be dealing with tough emotions in the present moment. Um, But it's when we attach to those feelings and make an identity out of it which I had done I you know I don't think I'm now but I had done that my whole identity I'm a grieving father you know and I'm not doing well you know right and understandable why I wouldn't be doing well and the grieving father is a horrible identity to have yeah but I came to the realization again you know just in the last year or so I started to think, well, grief is my purpose, okay? I've had so much grief, grief must be my purpose. And then I, I felt called to realize that, no, grief isn't my purpose. It's dealing with grief that's my purpose and sharing my grief with others in order to heal and then sharing that healing with others that may be struggling with their grief like I have. Yeah. Um, so it all kind of ties together and you know the other the other advice i would give to people you know you may not want to bring it up say oh you know i'm so sorry you know like and like you don't want to make the person relive right but you want to communicate that you're there for them and you're listening and that you know that's how you can be most helpful and just say hey i have no idea you know, I'm sure it's super horrible what you're going through. I have no idea. I, ne- I never will hopefully know what you're going through. But I'm here. But I'm here. And I'm your friend. I care about you. And I'll be there to listen if and when you're ready to talk, if you want to. I think that's the best thing that you can say. And do you feel, you know, comfortable? And I just suddenly feel like this is just so important. Do you feel comfortable feeling joy? And just moving with joy and moving in the world filled with joy. How do you feel about that? You know, I feel I feel okay about it. I feel good about it because I know that's what my boys want for me. That's great. That's they're, really great. And they're helping me get there. And by feeling guilty or something about feeling joy, you know, it just doesn't serve me or anyone else. So right. I just go there. You know, there were times yeah. where I did go there. Like I felt a little guilty, like, oh my gosh, am I forgetting my boys? No, I'll never forget my boys. Forgetting, you know, not forgetting my boys doesn't mean I have to live in grief my, the rest of my life. Right. Right. Because they sound like amazing people. So who are still a presence in very much so. So, you know, I don't think that's possible for you to forget them. Um, and then I always ask people this question if you had um the power 
you know, you have a magic wand, you can't go back and change the past. So it's not that kind of a magic wand, but it's a kind of magic wand that you can change the world in some way. Mm-hmm. Somebody says today you can make a change in mm-hmm. the world, either how people act or talk or think, or what yeah. would it be, do you think? I think for me, because of my experiences with grief and, and experiencing it and trying to deal with it and heal from it in, in our society, which as we talked about, does not deal with grief well, wants to sweep it under the rug, make believe it didn't happen and, and put timelines on your grief. Like, oh, it's been a year, you should move on, you know, come on, you know, and I try to say that to me, you know, like, oh, hold time out, you know, it's uh, a grief. Have you really had people say that, Eric? Not in so many words, but kind of, yeah, kind of. And I've talked to other people who have had people say that to them. Yeah. I've had other people say somewhat un- insensitive things, but not that one in particular. Um, so I would change how our society deals with grief and death. Um, my, my Reiki healer lady, she just went, I don't know, it was the day of the dead in Mexico where they, and they have a whole week of it. And one day in particular where they really concentrate on it, but it's a community thing where they get together as a community and celebrate the lives of those they lost, acknowledge their grief and help each other get through it. And we just don't do that. And we for an hour at a funeral service and then they think it's over, you know, and then that's it. And that's not it. That's the, you need the community. You need the community to survive the grief that you feel. And uh, if you, if that community is not there for you, you you're going to have a much more difficult time mm-hmm. dealing with and processing your grief. And that's the value of the grief support groups that I'm in. I think, you know, people understand, you know, and listen and just hold space and just be there with you. Um, it's so important. And, and in that little mini society, I get what I need. But I don't get it from the society, our, our society at large, because we're not good at dealing with grief. Nope. That's what I would try to change if I wanted to change one thing. That's a good one. And as you were talking, I started thinking, you know, I think so many of us too, you know, we hate, I talk about this a lot, but we humans hate being embarrassed. And we're thinking, what if I say the wrong thing? What's the right thing? What do, I've even had like my kids, if we're going somewhere and it is like a funeral, they'll say, what do I, what do I say when I get up there, mom? You know, because yeah. they don't want to say the wrong thing. And part of it is because they don't want to hurt the person who's on the receiving end. But there is also another part that they don't want to look foolish or it's something to do with, you know. And I think, I, you know, some of the, you know, most kind things people have said to me is, I got no words. Yeah. And I said, I don't, I don't need words, but I appreciate your presence. And I appreciate the hug you gave me. And I know that you'll, you'll be there for me if I need you. And that, that makes me feel grateful. And you don't need to say words. Yeah. Eric, you, you know what, you're going to really change things. You are. I really feel that. And I feel thankful um, that you have so much strength and courage and dignity and grace, and you can share your story. That is a painful story. You could definitely lock yourself in a closet (laughs) and, you know, just not come out, or you could easily just move on and not easily, but you could just never acknowledge this. And I think to take all that you've been through and gift it to people so that we understand more about not only grief and death, but we understand more about living now and we understand more about life and we understand more about the power of presence and those beautiful boys that, that you had you and your wife gave birth to that had this time on the earth to make this impact. They had their friends, they had their lives, they've changed you, they've changed each other. 
you know, and that's nothing to be discounted. That's, that's enormous. And I think when you talk about them, you're also giving them this gift of recognizing, Mm -hmm. you know, the impact that they have made upon the world. And I think they're having an impact through me still by helping me. They're, they're continuing their impact in this world, even here physically. And that's a beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. It's not, it's not an ego thing for me. It's not me that's providing this. It's, it's just me being a vessel and being open to letting these messages come through me to the people that need to hear them. And that I feel honored if I'm, you know, kind of being chosen to, to do that kind of work. Um, it's an honorable occupation or, you know, challenge or hobby, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Endeavor, whatever it is, it's Endeavor. really um, beautiful. And I feel really thankful. And I know that many people listening are going to be impacted on so many levels. And I thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you to my guest, Eric Stark. What an absolutely beautiful human being. I want to remind you, all of you listening, you're not alone. Please reach out to a friend, a loved one, if you need to talk. And if you don't feel that there's someone in your life to talk to, please consider calling the Crisis Support Hotline. 1-877-435-7777. As a reminder, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. And thank you for being part of conversation. All of our conversations help us to elevate our own life and to connect with one another. And speaking of connections, as always, I'd like to thank William Aronson, who wrote, produced, and sings this Soulful Connections theme song. Thank you, Bill. And thank all of you once again for listening.